Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and each of our listeners out there to the Grow With Tim podcast. I'm Jay Du, and we've got Tim Joyner here and a guest today in studio. We've got Caroline Avenger. She is the founder and CEO of Protocol SC. So happy to talk about executive presence here today. But first, Tim, tell us where you guys have met. What's going on here today with our guest? So I've talked before about executive presence and how valuable some of those skills are. And I've got a long way to go still for sure. But growing up in the cornfields of Illinois, I didn't have a lot of, uh, I don't know, executive experiences. Let's <laughs> right, put it that right. way, right? Great family, great community, but I didn't know how to eat at a five-star restaurant. I didn't know how to conduct myself in a lot of professional situations. And one of the things I did a long time ago, I ended up spending a few days at the Buckley School, mm -hmm. which was about public speaking and about etiquette and all these professional skills. And at the time, Caroline was president of that organization. And so we met, stayed in touch. Caroline has a ton of skills and experiences that I don't yet have. And, but I want to learn them, right? So I'm really excited to have her here today. I'm going to learn today. I hope our listening audience will as well, and um, learn more about how to conduct and how to conduct yourself and operate at a really high level, in such a way that it opens opportunities instead of closing them off to you, right? That's the key. Caroline, well, thank you for being on our podcast today. Thank you for what you've been doing in the community. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Protocol SE. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I've been doing this, the public speaking since 1998. The I 1900s. Think. Wow. 1900s, okay. yes. I've nice. way back. And then the etiquette portion, I pulled into it probably about 12 years ago, I guess, mm -hmm. 12, 13 years ago. Um, but, you know, growing up in South Carolina, etiquette was a large part of that. I have two grandmothers who drilled oh, the it Southern in. Bells. The Southern Bells. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, Very good. So I knew a lot of what I should be doing, but then you translate that into a business experience. And sometimes it doesn't come across either as well or at all because you don't realize that it applies there, too. So when I went to the Protocol School of Washington to get certified in uh, business etiquette, consulting, that opened my eyes to a whole lot of things that before I wasn't as familiar with. And it, it, a lot of it comes from public speaking as well. The skills you learn there, you can apply to a lot of business situations, not just making presentations. Okay, so there's an actual certification out there that you hold. There Who knew? Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't grow up around, I guess I have stuff to learn as well. So tell us a little bit specific about how you're doing business with Protocol SC and how we can connect with you there. What is it that you're helping folks learn? So a lot of it is communication skills, executive presence, and that covers a lot of different categories. So sometimes I coach people on specifics based on what their needs are. Other times it's more of an overview and then people can pull from that what they need. I work with individuals and groups and at, at all levels of an organization. Give, give us a specific, help us visualize the mm -hmm. kind of person that you can help. Like okay. what if, if somebody's in our audience today and should be working with protocol, mm -hmm. what might they look like? My very first client okay. that I had with protocol was sent from her company. She was in line for a promotion. She had all of the hard skills. She had the content knowledge, the industry expertise, but there were, she wasn't coming across in a leadership mentality or, or ethos, I guess. And they sent her. She walked in with a chip on her shoulder. Mm. Rock of Gibraltar. Chip on her <laughs> okay, Atlas. She did not want to be there. She was annoyed. She didn't understand the importance of it. 
it, it was a little disconcerting to me because she came and just sort of annihilated me as soon as she walked in the door. And I thought, okay, I'm seeing what's going on here. And there's, there's a roughness, there's a, an abrasiveness, there's an unwillingness to, to learn, which is a key part of it, is always being willing to learn. And then also just not taking any kind of constructive feedback. There, there, there was a lot going on there. I, she wasn't dressed very professionally. She came in. She had on leggings. Uh, actually, they were probably stirrup pants because this was. Mm, oh, okay, back. right. The jazzercise. <laughs> jazzercise. Okay, gotcha. The external behaviors, the external appearance did not match the level of her expertise. Mm, and mm -hmm. so this was all blocking the ability for people to see she's got what it takes to lead. She has these hard skills that our people need, that she needs to communicate to others. But all of these behaviors were getting in the way of it. Yes. So I think that's a key idea there is, is it, is it fair to say that these external behaviors, that blind spots, we'd say, things that she didn't even realize she was doing or not doing, were actually limiting her opportunities? Absolutely. And Absolutely. so that's one of the big ideas about executive presence and the things we're going to talk about today is if, if you figure out how to navigate this world successfully, you will open up opportunities that you didn't even know existed because heretofore they've just been shut off to you. Right. Right. Now, I've heard about hard skills. You mentioned a couple of times, yes. Caroline. So hard skills, but these soft skills, mm -hmm. hard skills are knowing that you can pull off the job because you have the actual credentials. Right. But soft skills are so important because you have to work with people and you have to work with culture and things like that to get to where you're going. Like, what would you say to that hard skill and soft skill conversation when someone's looking for a hire or a promotion? Mm -hmm. what, how important are these soft skills? If two people have the same level of skill from that hard skill standpoint, then those soft skills are going to be what pushes them over the edge and gives them that advantage every time. Can you give me some ideas on what soft skills are? What's the difference? What is a concrete hard skill and what's a soft skill? So concrete hard skills are what it takes to do your job well in terms of here, here's a task, here, here's a project, and you have to have certain knowledge to successfully complete it. So if I'm an and accountant, I need to know numbers. accounting, yeah. debits and credits, exactly. and how to do a journal entry. If I'm an engineer, I need to learn how to use AutoCAD and design this bridge that isn't gonna fall down or whatever. Those are hard skills. Exactly. So the soft skills are how you relate to others, mm. how you come across to others, how they perceive you, how you perceive what others are communicating to you, being able to communicate your message clearly so that others can hear it and understand it from your perspective. So I can give you a message and I think, okay, you're, you're going to hear what I'm saying, but if I don't have the, the gestures, the verbiage, the facial expressions, all of that that goes along with it, you may misconstrue what I'm saying. You might understand it on, on its surface, but the deeper meaning may come across as something completely different. Yes. And it's like, I think it's John Maxwell who said, your behaviors are so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure your behaviors align with what you're saying so that they don't get in the way of it. You don't want to be so caught up in, did I do the right thing? Did I not do the right thing? That your message is getting lost. Um, I'll give you an example. I worked with some guys from the Department of Defense. This was so fascinating to me because they were there, we were doing, at that point, dining instruction. And I thought, you know, these guys, what, what, what are they going to take from this? Because they were, they were transitioning into civilian life, but they were still in the military. They were still going back to Afghanistan. They were still working in that capacity. And they said, you know, when we are in the field, we are 
meeting out in the desert where we're sitting around a campfire. There, there are no utensils. There are no place settings, napkins, <laughs> and all of that. But then the very next day, we turn around and we go into an ambassador's residence. There's the full complement of silverware, and we have to know how to navigate that and communicate whatever security concerns we might have. So if we are so focused on this fork, that fork, this napkin, whose glass is whose, is this my bread or his bread, then that's getting in the way of our communicating. Mm. Oh, so okay. So etiquette can even yes. be a security concern. So now I have remember this when I was a kid, my mom gave me one of those Emily Post books. I think she had yes. one uh -huh. and she said that there was a proper way to go about dining, mm -hmm. which of course I didn't know at that time. And it's interesting to me. So I, here's a question that I have outside of maybe that particular Department of Defense. Do you think those things are important like on a day to day level, Absolutely. maybe even in family, you know, not just executive, but just real quick, I just wanted, you know, if you think, you know, these things can be helpful to you even at home. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're preparing your children, if you have children, okay. to go out into the world and not look like they're eating at a trough. <laughs> so that that's that's important. But it's also... Then I've got a long way to go <laughs> in our house. I actually sometimes do too. So. <laughs> but I've had people tell me, I've had a, a client tell me that he was interviewing for a position. There were two women interviewing for the position. They went out to lunch and one of them ordered the surf and turf for right, lunch. Right. It was very opportunistic and it because it was a free meal. Why not get the most expensive item mm, in the menu? Okay. It was such a turnoff oh. that she was no longer in the running. That's a small thing. That's a detail that people don't really pick up on sometimes. Mm -hmm. You also never know who is going to take offense at that. So it's uh, sometimes it's a situation of better to know and not need it than need it and not know right. it. And, and table manners, for sure, are yeah. a part of that. Just last week, I, was, um, I, I just met somebody, and she was describing to me how she had left her previous employer because she'd been passed over for promotion again and again, and she was, she was so bitter about this. Like, she had superior skill, she had been there for longer, and she was getting you know, passed over by these younger people that were getting promoted, they were hiring from the outside. And she was really bitter about this and she quit the company. And all I can think, and I didn't know her very well, but all I could think to myself was, I don't think it's a conspiracy. Like, I don't think, it, I, I believed her that she was technically superior to some of these other people. But I thought, you know, your company is a pretty big, successful company. I'm sure there are exceptions. Sometimes, yes, you legitimately, it's not fair. But in this case, I suspect it wasn't her technical ability that was limiting her. It was something else. So you said earlier, you've got two people of similar technical skill. Somebody that's got better soft skills will get the edge. What about somebody that has inferior technical skill? Like, I don't want to overstate the case, but isn't it true that sometimes people get opportunities because of their soft skills, even though they are technically less capable? I wish I could remember the article I read to that effect. And there's someone who quotes it. It might even be Simon Sinek. I can't okay. remember. Mm -hmm. sure. But you can train to the hard skills. Mm -hmm. right. Training, you, you can right. get that right. on the job. You also learn a lot of that in school. Mm -hmm. So there, there are opportunities to go back and, and learn some of those technical skills. The soft skills, you have to actively seek out. If you know you're lacking them, you have to read or take courses or work with someone like me to understand what you need because 
there's not a class in school typically. A lot more colleges and universities are bringing people in to do that sort of training because they see that that's such a huge need. But it also, it, you know, if you're looking at someone, you're going to want to look at their technical expertise and get, yeah, of there, course. there are lots of ways of determining, okay, this person doesn't have necessarily the technical skills, but if you can train to those, if you can support them in that, then you're a little bit further ahead of the game, I think. Yeah. For sure. So I've heard about the difference in the last couple of years. I think in the new economy in the 21st century, hear about IQ for years and years and centuries. <coughs> but there's this EQ thing people talk about, this emotional intelligence. Right. And my wife has brought it up to me a few times, like I'm not understanding. What would you say? How would you describe? Is that what you mean by like technical, hard and soft? What would you say to this idea of, hey, emotional intelligence right. is important? It's very important. And that speaks to a lot of the things that I work on with people from a communication standpoint, from okay. a self-awareness standpoint of understanding what your motivations are, what your needs are, how you come across to others. Not in a, you know, when I talk about motivations and needs, it's not sort of you know, kumbaya and, and that sort of thing. It's what, what do you need to be successful? What do you need to communicate clearly? What, are, what is the environment that works for you and how do you adapt if you don't have it? All of those things fall under emotional intelligence and they all come out. People who are successful executives, successful leaders, and mm -hmm. they don't even have to be executives. They can just be leaders in their particular environment. They have emotional intelligence. They can understand what's going on around them. They can read the room. They know how people perceive them. They know how to package their message in a way that others can receive it more readily in individual relationships as well. I know I know what buttons to push if I want to irritate my husband and how to avoid those buttons right, sort right, of thing. Right. It's understanding all of that in a business setting. Do you think that that is a skill over the course of the last generation or two of the workforce? Has lost or people just didn't pay attention to it more? Or the people who rose to the top just had it a little more naturally. How did this industry come about? Mm -hmm. Is it because people were really, hey, we're losing something we used to have or we just need to point it up? I think as we become so much more mobile and we are in, we are working not just in our hometowns. It's, it's not mom and pop business, it's, it's global. And you are encountering different cultures more readily, more easily because of that ability to communicate yeah, over the phone, over uh, Zoom, it, it, there are no barriers of space and time, really, because of technology and because of the ability to travel at, with such ease. And I think that we are seeing more that there are differences that are really easy to overcome if we understand them. So, Carolyn, I want to get into some specifics here real soon, but one more question before we get into the, the, the sort of a list of like, what does executive presence even look like? Right. I think there are a lot of people listening today that have gone through a couple of years of pandemic and they say, you know, I'm, I kind of like this working in my pajamas and my bedroom slippers or T-shirt and shorts or whatever. And why why would I even want to invest in physical appearance or in professionalism or figuring out etiquette? Like, isn't that so last century? Yeah. And isn't it potentially like offensive to suggest that what I do at home or who I am or how I am going to communicate myself to you? Shouldn't you have to adjust to that rather than me? It's two way straight Is it? in that regard. To me, one of the biggest problems with society in terms of 
a sense of, of propriety, of business etiquette, even social etiquette, is that we have become intransigent and Whoa, I need a definition. <laughs> this um, isn't this isn't that type of podcast. Yeah, help me out with that real quick first. A refusal to see the other person's point of view, hmm. a refusal to change your mind or adjust or compromise or understand. And you know, you see you get on social media and you see it across politics and across society as people diverge. And then a dismissiveness or a disregard for other people. And I think you see that, you know, the rise of road rage. Or, you know, I think it was a week or so ago and there was an incident on an airplane that was because of the seat back. First off, these incidents on airplanes are just wild. There's so many. It's frightening. Yeah, what's going on here, yeah. yeah. So I paid for my ticket, so I'm going to wear my seat back. And the person behind you has paid for her ticket and now has no leg room. And it, that, I think that's what escalated the incident that I have in mind. But it, it's this disregard for the other person's existence, for their humanity, for their dignity. So that's never last century. That's always, that's mm -hmm. important in the here and now of, of recognizing the worth of every human being, not to get too mm -hmm. Gandhi and mm -hmm. all that, but it is. That, that's what happens when you see people pulling over to the side of the road and you know, whipping out a gun because someone cut them off in traffic. My dignity has been offended. You apparently had to get to your, I don't know, yoga class because it was, you were <laughs> you, running you, late. You needed that yoga you class needed, real bad. You needed that I yoga class. Have you, yeah, oh goodness. But that was more important to me than your safety. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it just escalates from there. And I think that that's, you know, when people ask me, you know, what do you think is the worst sort of etiquette transgression. There's so many. There's not one that you can pull out and say, this is the worst thing that you can do. I think the worst thing you can do is disregard the dignity mm. of another human being mm. in any situation, whether it's a, a transactional you know, at the grocery store or at a restaurant or in a boardroom. So what I'm hearing you say is this isn't just about which fork to use or make sure that I'm eating my bread and not the person sitting next yeah. to me. There's actually something much deeper going on here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Don't drink the finger bowl. Right. That's yeah. what right. I learned. Emily Post. <laughs> I think it was in the book somewhere. Uh, so it's a very I mean, it's a very interesting topic. So my question is, how does one know or an organization know when to start employing this type of mindset or your services specifically mm -hmm. in South Carolina, how do we know when we need to be thinking about this? Pick me, pick me. Yeah, like I'm, how, do, I'm, how do we know when we've got these blind I'm, I'm not, I'm not our guest, but I'm going to answer the question anyway, because I, I think it is critical that you know this stuff before you need it. Mm, you've okay. got to prepare for the opportunity before you have it. So th this has been the story of my life, um, not just in terms of executive presence or professionalism, but again and again, I've tried to acquire skills, meet people, form relationships, acquire knowledge, whatever, before I needed it. And, and that has paid off again and again and again and again. And in this case, absolutely, I can say there, there, I went to the Buckley School a long time ago. It's where we met. 
and learned all kinds of really valuable things that I had zero use for because I wasn't in those circles. And like I was definitely told you before, I try to be the youngest, stupidest, poorest person in a room because that's where I grow the most. At Buckley School, I was there with elected representatives and like the brand director for Mar, Mar how do you say that cigarette brand, that Marlboro. tobacco, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, <laughs> there were all these really responsible, amazing people that were in the room and I was like this, you know, 25 year old, I, I didn't know, I was way out of my league. I didn't need those skills then. But the first time I got invited to a really nice restaurant with some really important clients, I was so much more, I was still uncomfortable, but I was so much more comfortable because I'd had that experience. The first time I got invited to go with somebody on their private jet to attend a wedding of a mutual friend, like I, to know how to interact, how to dress, how to speak, how to, like a lot of those skills, you can't, once you get the opportunity, it's too late. So I, you may have a different answer, but for me, when the answer is always right now because you need them before you, you need to get the skills before you actually need them i agree i sat next to a young woman at a dinner years ago and she turned around and asked me you know what do you do for a living and i told her and she's like oh etiquette that's so elitist and i thought oh you know you've totally dis disregarded and dismissed right. my livelihood mm -hmm. yeah but right. it, it is important and some of it is sort of detail and people think, well, that's kind of superficial. The table manners, dressing appropriately. Well, yeah, if you don't need them, they, they appear superficial. When you need them though, holy cow, yeah. there is nothing worse than sitting in a meeting and realizing that you are dressed inappropriately mm -hmm. or you are having a dinner meeting or an interview over a meal or a meeting with a client who can make or break your career and you are so focused on what you're trying to do, trying to navigate the forks, the knives, the bread, the wine, whatever, that you don't focus on the business at hand and then you've lost your opportunity. The, the etiquette part of it, the dress, all that, is really actually simple if you are open to learning it and willing to actually use it. Yeah. Because I've worked with people, I've, I've gone through everything, all the stuff that you went through, and then I went to their company for a talk, a lunch and learn, and there was lunch involved, and I'm looking over at them going, yeah, you didn't take anything away, did you? Hmm. And you got to be able to use it and, yeah. and know that it's necessary, practice it. I think it's that that element of distraction is is two ways. So number one is I'm if I'm stressed out about how to conduct myself, we keep using etiquette, but it's much more than that, right? right? How to conduct myself in this big business meeting, how to walk on stage and deliver a compelling talk or whatever it may be. Um, it's distracting to me if I'm uncomfortable. I can't focus on my message that I need mm -hmm. to deliver. But it's also distracting to my listeners. Like, you know, I, you and I have talked about Mark Zuckerberg showing up at Congress, and he's going to testify before the, this impressive body, and he shows up dressed completely inappropriately. Mm -hmm. And what did all the headlines say? Like the next day, he wore a hoodie. Everybody's talking about the hoodie and nobody even heard what he said. Everybody was so distracted. And some people, especially a younger generation, were like cheering like, yeah, he wore a hoodie. He was a, a hoodie. He was his authentic self or whatever. But basically nobody actually heard what he had to say. They just noticed that. And it was so distracting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the next time I think he dressed a little differently. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. He showed up in a yes. suit. Right. Um, so, okay. So 
I think executive presence, professionalism, etiquette, all these things are important because they open doors that you might not have even realized were closed to you. You didn't even know that there was room on the other side of that door. But once you were ready, it's sort of like when the when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When when the student is ready, the opportunities will appear. So learning this stuff is important to open doors and and to not distract you or limit you from success. Mm-hmm. So what is it that we're talking about? Like when you think executive presence, professionalism, these things let's get a little more practical now. What, what does it look like to have executive presence? Mm -hmm. So self-awareness is one of the most important things. And that is understanding who you are. Like I said earlier, motivations, needs, what, what are your stressors and how do you react to them? And how do you either arrange your environment to circumvent them? Or how do you arrange your behavior to circumvent them? And that can come from, some people are just naturally self-aware. Not many, but they're they're out there. Most of us would benefit, I think, from things like a DISC assessment or Berkman. uh, What's the other one that's so hot right now? The Enneagram. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Right. So that is that's a big part of understanding how to yeah know thyself, how to work with others well, knowing what your own limitations are, how maybe some of your stress behaviors come across, if. Yeah, and we've talked about being introverted. Mm-hmm. I'm wildly introverted uh-huh. myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that manifests itself. I can go out and work a room and network, meet with people, teach, be on stage, all of those things. My family knows when I come home, I'm going to the, my room and I'm closing my door for an hour. Mm-hmm. And they don't bother exhausted. me. exhausted, yeah. yeah. I have to recharge. Yes, right. When I did that at my office, I finally had to tell when I was... Um, in a corporate position, I had to tell the people around me, taking a moment, Mm -hmm. closing the door. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, I looked aloof, standoffish, uh, rude even. But once they knew, okay, just recharging for a little bit, then that shut door did not bother them. Whereas before, it might have turned them off. Well, who does she think she is closing everyone off? So if I want to be more self-aware, something like a Berkman. Do I remember correctly? You, I think you you're certified. With me, you're you? certified yeah. Berkman, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. probably some other things, too. So, so all right. I probably want to dig into that more, but I know you've got more. So self-awareness right. starts with self-awareness. What else? What else do we the need to be thinking about? The other is host and audience intelligence or being Host read, and audience intelligence. What do you mean by that? Or So if you are going into an organization or going to meet with a client or speaking to an audience, you gather information about them. So you know, what are their needs? What are they expecting? Mm. That leads into the next one of managing expectations, but understanding who they are and how they're going to best receive a message. Mm. Uh, I went to a, a conference, golly, it's been seven or eight years ago now, maybe. And there was a YouTube, viral YouTube sensation who went on to write a number of books, appear on lots of different TV shows. And I think there's even a podcast now. And the conference was with my church. And there were other Episcopal churches from around the country there. And Mm -hmm. lots of clergy. So lots of black shirts, white collars, purple shirts who are the bishops. They're the big guys Mm -hmm. and the white collars. She gets up on stage and she starts dropping f bombs and other various and such. It's not that type of Episcopal church, you know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the other. Those are the Lutherans so over there. She, and she was not. <laughs> she um, had a very uncomfortable room in front of her. Oh, yeah. And she's had numerous bestsellers. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to say her name. Yeah. But 
she didn't read the room mm-hmm. or she didn't care. Mm-hmm. I don't know which. Yeah. Which, is, which is not better. No. Which is not better. And I think that's what we have to like bring up about being self-aware. She obviously knew who she was. Right. But she either disregarded who everyone else was or wasn't smart enough to go figure out how you can have a successful, uplifting experience yeah. to the ministers and the church people in the room. So the, co- the conversation around this headline speaker was not the content. I have no idea what her message was. Mm. Don't remember it. Didn't remember it, you know, an hour later because we were all going, Bishop Selman just heard her say the Mm. word. (laughs) Oh, my word. That was the entire conversation. Everyone was shocked that she chose to use that language. And not to say that there were plenty of people in the audience who use that language, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But it wasn't the environment. And so her message was completely lost on, I would say, the majority of the people there. Right. If you want your message to come across, you may have to package it a little differently. It may not be natural to who you are at all. But you're so, not the only so one in this room. You're not the only one in this world. In game. Yeah. Do you want people yeah. to hear your message or do you want to live your true self? Right. What, 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 what is it? Yeah. And I think you have to evaluate that. I, when I work with college and college students and young people in particular who maybe have tattoos and multiple piercings, th- th- this is who I am. This is how I express myself. That's great. Is expressing yourself your goal here or is getting that job your goal here? And if it means covering up those tattoos, then... Maybe for that job, until you get into it, you cover them up. And then as they get to know your expertise, then that d- doesn't become a distraction. Distraction. I think the, apo- the Apostle Paul, right, 2,000 years ago, said, I'm all things to all men. Like, I, to the Greeks, I'm, I appear Greek. To the Jews, I'm like, he, he adjusted not the content of who he was or what his message was, but he adjusted how he presented and how he communicated. He was socially appropriate in different settings where groups of people that thought very differently from him, maybe. And and I think it, it's a 2,000-year-old message that's still relevant today. It's about being flexible and adaptable, not about being artificial and and creating a persona that's inauthentic. Yeah. Right. I remember learning this in a uh, college advanced public speaking class. In fact, we've talked about it in a previous episode, I think. One of the big things that we talked about there is relevance and both audience preparation ahead of time, learning who your audience is going to be and making sure that your message is crafted in a way that it's going to be easily received and digested and, you know, begin with the end in mind. How do I want them to think and feel and act and believe as they leave my talk? Um, But the other big thing that I learned in that class was the purpose of eye contact. I'd been taught for, you know, I'd had other speech classes and I was told you make eye contact with your audience. And I never really understood why. And in that class, it was, for me at least, it was this aha moment. It's kind of obvious now to me 30 years later, 20 years later. But the purpose of eye contact is to get feedback from your audience. So if my audience is all like nodding and like, uh uh-huh, get on with it, like, oh, hey, maybe I pick up the pace. I'm a little too slow. I've bored them. I'm whatever. I've explained it. If I've got a bunch of like like these questioning looks like skeptical or they don't understand. Maybe I need to go back and re-explain that point or whatever. Um, But learning to read an audience both in advance and in real time has been, I would say, transformational in my Mm -hmm. effectiveness as a speaker. Well, and that leads into the next one is communication. Yeah, let's talk about that. And, And being able to get your message across, whether you're selling an idea or a product, you are persuading people to believe like you believe or to find what's find something important in what you're saying. It, it's having an awareness of both yourself and the other 
so that it, they're all tied together. They're all linked together. And communicating in a way that, again, your behaviors while you're communicating don't distract from your message. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get into things like locutions that get in the way, uh, um, like, you know, whether they're generational, which a lot of people will attribute using like instead mm-hmm. of said, for mm-hmm. example, but then cluttering it up with filler words or anything that just fills the silence mm-hmm. uh, 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 as you prepare for your next set of words that can get distracting. So when I was at the Buckley School, I remember very well a series of, I think you all called it afflictions. Is that what Tortures. it was? Tortures. Yes. Wow. Tortures. Wow. I, and I, I just but think I it's- I like afflictions. Afflictions, I think that's, that's better. It felt like an affliction yeah. for sure. So tell us about some of the afflictions that you've used to help people break bad habits. So I started, I grew up painfully shy. Mm-hmm. And this is still sort of my intellectual bungee jumping, speaking in public, uh-huh, doing things uh-huh. like this. I love it. But intellectual my first jumping. sort of public speaking instructor used a clap, which mm-hmm. and at the Buckley School, we use marbles. Mm-hmm. And even now, I will either use the clap or the marbles with someone who is saying, uh, um, or it's things like that. Mm-hmm. Every time it was said, the entire class would clap. Mm-hmm. So I learned very quickly to get that out of my my repertoire. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not like an applause, like good for you. Yeah. It's like no, a, it right. is a loud, just boom. I remember. I, I think. I think the time that I had. So I have. I still have verbal clutter. I have a lot less today than I used to. A lot less than I used to. And I'm pretty sure at the Buckley School they actually put somebody up on the platform with me with a a metal bucket metal and a rock. Bucket. Mm-hmm. And so every time I would say um or ah or whatever, this big clang would happen and it was so disruptive. Oh, so I got jarring. this audience full of people I'm trying to deliver a message to and like 20 times, like there it goes, uh-huh. 20 times a second, this big rock. I think that was the proper use enough. of the word like. Maybe yeah, it was. Like, like, times. <laughs> yes. So anyway. But, but and give people some, would feel that internally. Even. Oh, yeah. So I can feel that inside. Every time you hit that bucket, I feel that. It made you motivated real fast to yeah. stop it. Right? Yeah. Well, but, what I'm what I'm hearing from you, and I've realized this in so many contexts where I'm in the audience. We've all done a lot of public speaking, and I've been in the audience so many times where I felt uncomfortable because the person on stage was uncomfortable. And I think people miss that a lot. If you're not comfortable, the rest of us aren't comfortable either. Like, we're nervous for you. We don't want to be here. We'd love for you to sit down and move away (laughs) from this microphone because we are feeling good yeah you're not so and you're true. not helping us yeah communicate that message i love that I, and i remember hearing this in college are we trying to inform we trying to persuade convince right. uh, humor entertain what is the point of what's going on and if we're all uncomfortable none of these things are coming through is communication really taking place if the audience isn't receiving yeah no, what the point is yeah real quick give us a yeah. couple of other examples there's the verbal clutter for sure clutter. what other distracting mannerisms do people have that that you as a coach might help help them so with? pacing and it's great to use a stage because you can move from one side to the other if you're actually on a stage. Sometimes you are sitting in front of people and that energy, and, and that's what it really is. It's nervous energy that you want to be able to, tr- to channel. But people will pace, they'll drum their fingers. If you're seated, it might manifest itself in shuffling through papers. It's fidgeting. Mm-hmm. So fidgeting, whether it's in motion or with your unnecessary gestures and that that's probably my biggest Mm -hmm. 
challenge is gesturing because I gesture when I'm on the phone mm-hmm. and the people can't see what I'm just saying. Well, but I think that I had that problem But I think it does too. help your pacing and it helps understand exactly. there's a there's a verbal picture that you can paint a little better, even I think through a phone, right? Because we can tell if someone's smiling through the phone, exactly. right? We can tell. And we can tell if they're happy to talk to us. We can tell if they're not excited to be there by their pacing, by their volume, right? Mm-hmm. All of those things are important. And you mentioned pacing. People will talk too fast or they are plodding along waiting for either divine intervention or (laughs) they're looking at the ceiling thinking is it going to appear up there i think all your bishops were waiting for a divine intervention for a lightning (laughs) bolt to come down on this lady so things like that that just okay get to the point get the word out here here enunciation and slushing through words i've had people ask me talking about accents and i have a fairly strong accent i think but if you are crispening your language, people can understand you regardless of your accent. But your grandmothers would not be proud of that. They like that southern drawl. <laughs> they, they like that southern drawl. Yeah. Although I, one of my grandmothers would make me repeat words over and over until I said it correctly so that I didn't have a twang to mm. it. So, uh, that just sounds like a hick. So <laughs> say it again. But I, I love accents. I love hearing people's varied tones. And I think that's important to who they are. So... Getting rid of an accent, I hate to see. I, I know that, but, you know, but make it use, work for you, not against exactly, you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Great way to put it. All right. So we've got so, self awareness. We've got audience intelligence mm-hmm. and adaptation, understanding your host or your audience or whatever. We've got communication and let's get rid of these distracting mannerisms, make it effective. What else? Well, managing expectations to create trust. And a lot of this comes down to trust. Especially if you are moving into a leadership position, you want to generate a sense of trust in the people around you, that they know that you're going to communicate well, that you are going to understand where they're coming from, that you will adapt as needed or make allowances as needed. Uh, And managing expectations, you're setting up where people come into the picture. You're setting up, this is what I need from you, this is what my expectation is, this is what the result should be, and they're not having to guess. They're mm. not having to decide, okay, no, this isn't working. So that's that's a part of it, is, is making sure that the people around you know what you're about, managing the expectations of who you are, how you're going to always appear. If you are all over the chart, and you come in one day and you're in a great mood, and people think, oh, this is wonderful, happy week, and 30 minutes later, you're blowing your top. Oh, right, mood swings. So, yeah. And that equanimity, which is what I'll yeah. talk about next, comes into that too. People know what to expect from you when you walk in the door. And they're not going to stay on edge the entire time because they don't know what to expect, whether that is in what success looks like, in how you are reacting to people, any of those things, it's managing the expectations. And then also, this moves into number, well. Let me stop ahead. you right there yeah. and just talk about referability. Mm-hmm. So if I'm gonna refer you, yeah, whatever your business is, you're an accountant, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a consultant, you're a, a widget maker. If I'm gonna refer somebody to you, I wanna have, I wanna know what kind of an experience, product, service, you're going to give to my friend, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm putting my credibility on the line. I'm putting my reputation on the line. And I'm, and I'm going to say, Jeremiah, do you, you need to meet this woman. She is going to help you get better. Now, if you embarrass me, if you do a bad job or you do an inconsistent job, mm-hmm. 
I'm a lot less likely to refer the next person, yeah. right? I, I can think of you talk about managing expectations and being consistent and the equanimity and all. I think I've had so many repeat opportunities where, like, I'm on people's speed dial. People don't have speed dial anymore, but like, people, uh, there, there are certain people, consultants and professionals that routinely call me up and say, "Hey, I got this crazy client situation. They're they got a huge opportunity, or they got a big problem, or whatever it may be." And you're the guy to fix it. Um, and can you be in Denver next week? And because I've delivered a consistent experience, they know that I'm going to be professional. They know that I'm going to communicate well. They know that I'm going to be on time. I'm going to say please and thank you. I'm not going to embarrass them. I get more and more opportunity. And I, I think that a lot of people, it's those basic things like show up on time and do what you say you're going to do. And say these are Dan Sullivan's referability. Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. please and thank you and finish what you start. It's like people trust you more if mm -hmm. you're consistent. And speaking to that, it's being aware of what your sort of zone of genius is mm. and being able to consistently deliver that, but also knowing what it isn't. You know, I got back asked, to that self-awareness. And that's where all of this is it's so inextric inextricably linked to one another. But yeah, I was asked to do a history of etiquette talk for like a DAR group. Mm -hmm. That's not my zone of genius, the mm -hmm. history of etiquette. There's not a whole lot there. It also sounds incredibly boring, at least to me. But <laughs> It was so boring. I think I'd, be, I'd, I'd be down for it. I'd be down for it. There, was, there were some elements of it that were interesting when you start talking about you know, old-fashioned etiquette rules. And if you look back at maybe George Washington's list of, of how to behave. Yeah, sure. But There was no cussing. Not even no, in the military. No, no right. cussing. Uh, but it just, it, it was not part of what I do. Mm -hmm. But I did it anyway as a favor, mm -hmm. and and they enjoyed it. But the whole time I was uncomfortable with mm -hmm. it, and it wasn't consistent with the quality that I normally deliver, with the information I normally deliver. I should have said no. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful thing to remember. I think for all of us, we've all looked at the opportunities to stretch ourselves when we were feeling uncomfortable from the start. This mm -hmm. isn't where I should be, but right. I'm trying to prove a point or do a favor when we might even gain more respect by saying, no, that's not my exactly. zone of genius. I wrote that down. Figure out your that's zone good. of genius and yeah. stay and right it, in the middle of it. It's not that you don't expand, you know, push against those limitations. You certainly do that, but know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And if it's if what you're not good at is something that is going to damage your credibility somehow, steer clear of it or pull someone else in. It, go to the who yeah. and not the how of it. Yeah. You had one last thing that I want to cover today, and that's confidence. Talk mm -hmm. to us about confidence. Is it possible to develop, if you're just sort of a naturally insecure, nervous, shy person, can you develop confidence? Yes, ab absolutely. And you spoke a little bit about this, uh, talking about going into networking events mm -hmm. and setting yourself a goal, going in and attacking that goal mm -hmm. and then giving yourself an out. Yep. And I think that being able to do that and give yourself give yourself some grace in situations that might be difficult, then allows you to approach it with a lot more confidence because you know, I have an escape route. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But also having the confidence in your decisions, in your ability to communicate with people. If you have to have the hard conversations, knowing how to go about that, knowing when you need to adapt or make allowances and knowing when you need to stand firm. Having that knowledge contributes a lot to confidence. Having some of the sort of external 
detail things, being dressed appropriately, knowing how to navigate a meal or a meeting, a networking event, being able to stand up on a stage and get your message across. All of those are the building blocks of creating that confidence. You may have setbacks, but if, you, if you've got that safety net of knowledge, then you know, okay, next time I know better, so I'll do better. Mm-hmm. Love to hear it. Well, I think that was. I think that's about everything. Those that are we my have. five. Wonderful. I think so. Sure. So, so let's wrap it up with this, Caroline. First of all, if somebody says, "Boy, that's what I need," mm-hmm. let's say that they're not in Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Can they still benefit Absolutely. from your services? I can okay. do it virtually. You know, over Zoom. I I travel. Love to travel, sure. mm-hmm. especially now that we can travel again. Yeah, right. So, and, and I do that. I've I've traveled all over the country for different clients. Uh, so if somebody wants to find you, where do they look? They can find me at protocolsc.com. That's okay. my website. On Instagram at c.avenger and then on LinkedIn, okay. Caroline Buxton Avenger. Okay. Very good. And any last advice, like we always like to end with, besides call you, right? Yeah, they they need me. to do that. Right? <laughs> but if somebody says, I want to get better at this, maybe they're not ready to call you yet. Right. What's like one or two practical things that I can do to, to level up this week? There's, there's so many different directions right. you can take in that. So, so how would a person if, who, yeah, how would a person who is on a generic stand a platform right now, how would they find the things that they can do today? Mm-hmm. Maybe how would they assess or be aware of what they could do next? I think the, the two things that are necessary is be willing to learn okay. and make changes mm-hmm. and then never stop learning. There's so many opportunities out there to learn some of the things that you need listening to podcasts on leadership, listening to, mm-hmm. to this podcast. I, I learned so much from, what is it, 10 episodes now? I, I think, think so we're, this is number 12, I think. Okay, yeah. yeah. Episodes that, uh, podcasts rather, that speak to the information you're seeking and, and learning. There's so many books out there. Mm-hmm. I list books all the time on my blog of this is what I'm reading now, this is why I think it's important. Uh, reading right now the who not how that mm-hmm. you recommended mm-hmm. and for me too as a female entrepreneur i look for books by female entrepreneurs mm-hmm. so i'm looking for people who are doing what i'm doing and how did they do it did they do something better than i'm doing do they have a suggestion to make so looking for people who are headed in the direction that you want to head in and learning from them is is the very first step you can take good advice caroline thanks for being with us today it's been a great conversation thank you i've enjoyed it